0: Welcome back to another episode of All Things Red. On today's episode, I have a repeat guest for the first time ever. Um, I said I was never going to do a repeat guest until I was at least 100 episodes in, but had to get him on. My man, I've known him for a hot minute. Um, We used to work out and train together when we were in high school. Um, He is now a football coach at North Dakota State, which is a well-known powerhouse. Used to coach at UB. My man, Mike. How are we doing, baby? John.
1: John appreciate you having me back on man i uh honored to be your first repeat guest and i'm i'm sure i won't be your your last um i love what you're doing and your mission of your podcast is is awesome man i'm i'm, I'm pumped for you and kind of what you're doing and how you're how you're going about it appreciate that yeah, yeah like we said we've had a lot
0: of private um off i would say off pod combos uh other stuff like that it was just more so of like something i've always thought about Like I would try to find but and I would find bits and pieces of it and like other people's content, other people's podcasts. But then I'm like, you know what? A lot of it is people I think the average everyday person puts on a pedestal. So it's a lot of celebs, a lot of pro athletes, a lot of people that people don't have real like contact with and don't really have that. Like, um, how do I want to say it? you can easily relate to them. Like, Oh, I'm just like that person because you see, you know how today is you see finished products, you see like the successes of really, really talented people and you just like kind of disregard it. Cause you're like, all right, that ain't me. So why am I going to pay attention to, you know, what I don't know that person saying? Um, no doubt. So Yeah. So, you know, last time I had you on, we talked about, you know, your journey from playing football to how we met, um, you know, you eventually get into coaching, coaching at UB. Um, So picking it right back up where we left off, and I didn't even listen to the last episode before we hopped on here. Um, So, you know, you were from Ryan knowledge, you were coaching at UB, and now you took a better position coaching at North Dakota State. So give me the give me the rundown of, how that even happened, what that was about. And, you know, before we get into, you know, the the details of everything else,
1: you know, it's coaching in itself is a crazy profession, man. Um, It's, it's, it's very uh, fluid. You don't know uh, what's going to happen after each season. It's very production based. And uh, on our last, our last conversation, I I think I've told you just that we had, we had a coaching transition in May of 2021. And, uh, first when I was at Buffalo, I worked for Lance Leipold, who's now the head coach of Kansas. Um, you know, I worked for him for three and a half years and he had an opportunity to take the head job there. And he's going to, he's going to get that thing turned around and I'm excited to see that happen. Um, but when he, when he left, a lot of us were left back in, in Buffalo and unsure of like, what was the next move? So we had a new head coach come in. Um, coach Mo came in and, um, you know, he took over a team with less than a hundred days to the season, which is a extreme it's the only time that's ever happened uh in college football, ever. Uh so it was a one of one situation. And I was a part of that and it was crazy. It was a wild season, working ridiculous hours, uh just trying to to make something make something happen uh and instill a culture. And so we didn't have a season we wanted. We were four and eight. Um, which was not anywhere close to what we were previously the last three years, uh, with pretty much the same roster. And so once December came around, um, some changes need to be made. So unfortunately, you know, I think everyone's journey is not always rainbows and unicorns and you know, the happy stuff. There's failure in, in, in this thing. And so, you know, I got let go in January, mid January, and it was the first time in my career I was like, wow, you know, like what's what's next? So for me, I had to like do some really deep evaluating on like where do I want to go, who do I want to be around, what's the environment that I want to be in. It was the first time in eight years that I've had the ability to sit and not be engulfed in my, in my job. It was free time that I'm not used to having. So January was interesting man, uh, but it was probably the most growth that I've had in my career. Mm-hmm. So I, I was able to connect with a lot of people that I haven't had the chance to or talk to. Uh, with the free time and I got to focus on myself and uh, bettering myself so one of the people that I got connected with um, is probably one of the best humans I've, I've met not even coaches uh, a, a mentor of mine named Brad McCaslin who I worked with under coach Leipold he's a guy that's been a, an incredible mentor the last couple of years but specifically in January I talked to him on the phone and he was like, listen, like, I'm like, I'm going to connect you with uh, a guy named Dave Braun. He's a DC at North Dakota state. So he, he winds up um, connecting to me with Dave and I get on the phone with Dave and I'm like, man, I want to work for that guy. Like just energy out of this world. Like you just, you, you, you see, and you feel through the phone. Like I know I'd like working for that guy. So we had a couple more conversations and, um, you know, I was, I was, I was getting paid out from, from Buffalo. I was like, listen, Dave, I'll come out and volunteer. I'll come out and volunteer technically on the dime of, you know, on the dime of Buffalo uh, through June. And so I, I went out to, I went out to North Dakota state. I went out to Fargo in February. It was the second week of February. Um, and took a leap of faith, man. I knew no one out here, not a single person in Fargo, North Dakota, not a, not a single person in the state of, of North Dakota. And, um, drove 22 hours through a blizzard uh with a half a flat tire once i got from from chicago to uh to fargo i was driving with a half flat tire all the way up and uh at at one point i was like am i gonna make it there and i had a car full of my whole life essentially and um i just was like i was determined to get there because i knew i was supposed to be here so long story short i get out here in february and from the moment i get on this campus i realize there's just something culture it's a people-led um you know like you bring in the right people uh into the building who coaches staff and you bring in the right recruits and the right players and it it's just a special environment that is no fluke why they've won nine out of the last 11 national championships here um and have have had dominant success at every level they've been at on their climb so uh here at North Dakota State so uh, I've learned probably more in the last eight months about just how to win and do it the right way, um, you know, and still being able to see your family, uh, you know, and it's been encouraging to my development as a, as a 29 year old coach. So, you know, there's a ton, I could tell you with the last eight months, but you know, that's how I I got here. So I went through spring ball and I helped, uh, work with Noah Pauli, our receivers coach, um, with the receivers. And, um, this is, it was my first time getting back on offense in the last couple of years, but just the, the whole experience so far, man, I I can't speak highly enough of just the growth environment here and what, what what we have going on. It's, it's special. Uh, Absolutely wild kind of uh, events of how I got out to North Dakota state. Uh, But it's been the best thing that I could have done uh, for my growth over the last eight months is to be around these guys uh, selfless individuals, guys that are trying to push people forward um, and build them up, and, and be intentional teachers. So, you know, I, I really, really landed on my feet, uh, which doesn't always happen. And I really landed in a program that is just a, a program that knows how to win and do it the right way. So, uh, I'm going to be able to take those lessons I'm learning here and, and take it with me. What uh, you know down the road, wherever I'm headed, uh, you know, over the next couple years. Without a doubt, is that guy
0: that you were talking about? That coach is that the dude that um, uh, is now at Georgia Tech that has that video that went viral all over about how winners winners uh, work their ass off but still think they're lazy, whereas people that are are like losers they do just a little and think they're winners. Is that the the guy you're talking about?
1: No. So um, Luke Carella, uh is was the strength coach at UB in 2018, my first year there, and. We uh, it's funny because Lou and I were both Division three football players. He played at Defiance College in Ohio, so we hit it off right away. And uh,
0: that's Lisa him, though, City,
1: right? Yeah, uh, it's no, it's it's not him. David Braun is the guy who helped me get out here um to North Dakota State, who's our defensive coordinator here. Um, oh, you're talking about Brad? So Brad McCaslin is our yeah, is the our guy defensive in that video. Cor- the guy in uh, the guy in the video was at Buffalo with with Brad and myself in 2018. That's what I'm asking. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that that's Lou. Is I stay in touch with Lou all the time. Um, talk about a guy that just doesn't change no matter where he's at. He's a he's a ACC uh, head strength coach, one of the best in the country, one of the most well known strength coaches in the country, and every time uh, you know he'll he'll hit, he'll hit me back if I shoot him a text or um, specifically. A quick Lou story for you, it's it's pretty funny. We played Tempo in 2018. Now uh, we were at Buffalo and we wanted to win in the game on a crazy, you know, fourth quarter, two minute drive, Tyree Jackson to Anthony Johnson touchdown to, to win the game. But prior to that game in the hotel the night before, Lou was like, You want to go run the Rocky steps in the morning at like four a.m. Uh the day the day of the game. And I'm a huge Rocky Balboa fan. Like, I mean, my dad and I, <laughs> and my brother, watched it thousand, thousand times. Like, I, I watch it. You'd think I'm watching a live, uh, live fight. So me, um, Lou, and two other players, um, <laughs> Nico and, and Jake Fusak, we we dro- we literally drove probably 30 minutes out of the way at four in the morning in the rain, listening to the Rocky soundtrack, and we ran the steps. Like it just total head strength coach move. It was it was one of the more it was one of my fondest memories of, of being at Buffalo because it was just uh, it was something that you know unless you're in Philly you don't get to do. So we 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 yeah. took advantage of it. But yeah, that's that to answer your question, that is that is the Luke Corella. He's one of the best human beings on the face of the earth. That's awesome. Yeah. No. Um. I see that video's gone everywhere. So that's and I know you mentioned
0: to me that you you knew him. So that's why I was wondering like what the relationship there was. Um, And before we get into you, you know, what the, what the journey, Ooh, I had a hiccup, my bad. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. With the, uh, with the journey and everything has been like at North Dakota state. One thing that I, and I don't know if it's just me, but where do you think the corniness comes in versus the buy-in? So when I say that is there's a lot of people that try to be motivational to are I don't want to say motivational but you get what I'm saying like you know how coaches are you get how people are when they're trying to amp you up they're trying to build you up sometimes it comes across as corny and lame other times it's like oh wow I fuck with that so from your perspective because you were once a player where where is that fine line of like all right, dude, right you're being corny versus oh I get what he's saying and he's like let's buy in I don't even know if I asked that in the proper way but I feel like you get what I'm asking you
1: I think that if it's coming from a player, you're, you're, uh, you're, your mouth has to, to match your feet. Like, you got to be able to mm-hmm. walk your talk. And if you don't, like, you're not going to have any trust. Like, the guys that you're trying to pull along aren't going to trust you if you're not doing what you're trying to get them to do. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the success that's happened out here at North Dakota State, from day one when I went to watch our first team run, uh, I looked over. I'm pretty sure i me- I remember this pretty vividly. I looked over a coach ends, and like my jaw was to the floor because I was watching just guys hold each other accountable, and I'm talking like rip each other, like I like I like I've never seen before. But it's because it means so much, man. Like there's a there's a there is years of tradition in North Dakota State, man. Like this is way 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 bigger than the people that are in this building. There's you know there's years of winning tradition, and it's if you think that not touching the line or showing up late or doing the things that are mundane things don't matter, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to, to, you know, to, to be here. It just doesn't work. It just does not work. There's a formula that's worked um, for years. And there's a reason that the success has been sustained because we don't, we don't deviate from who we are and our players know that. And we're super transparent in our recruiting process, the guys about it too. And uh, we go and we look for guys that want to be, you know, have that grittiness to be a bison. And that's to answer your question, is it corny or is it, you know, is there buy-in? I think it comes down to how much trust you can compound if you're a new program and you're starting and you're taking over a losing team and you're trying to win. I think you have to really get to know your players and you have to get depth to your relationships so that you can, They can understand that you're not just coaching them and yelling at them just because you want to get a rise out of yourself. You're coaching them and yelling at them, and you're coaching them hard because you want to bring out the best in them. You got to see the why. They have to see the why, why you're doing what you're doing. You got to explain it. So, uh, and then when you get really, you know, and you you win and you sustain success, the players want to believe in the team because they understand that the great teams at any level are player led. Mm -hmm. player-led teams man and um it's it's i'm excited for us to start training camp in about five days six days because you know that's gonna it's gonna be a wake-up call for a lot of freshmen you know it's like wow like this is different (laughs) this is this is not the normal what i'm used to being the top dog like i'm i'm on the bottom of the totem pole right now and i gotta i gotta learn the learn the bison way man because that's a real thing here
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I talk about that a lot when I have, uh, you know, people that I play lacrosse with or just like friends of friends or even like people that are coaching and stuff like that. Like that was something that, um, for me, I like to talk about because it's not something that like, I sound like an idiot right now saying like, Oh, I didn't know that the the next level it was going to be like, Holy shit, I'm not in high school anymore. That's not what I'm saying. It's more so of like the attention to detail And how well things are executed with that attention to detail that you don't get to see from a TV screen, a YouTube clip, or just watching, just watching like a film until you're actually like in it. And you're, you know, in it, going through them, going through the drills, doing the exact same things, or you're being held to that type of standard, or you're competing against kids that like everyone, like even the shittiest kid on the team is still like a baller so no that's doubt something no doubt. that's yeah so that that's something that like you don't see and i know like when we were uh in high school when we were training in the summer with tom at ap and stuff and obviously like starks would be in there from time to time um and starks for anyone listening was the running back who played for the green bay packers when they won their super bowl uh with aaron rogers and like we would obviously be like okay that dude's a fucking freak like he, no yeah. wonder why he. No wonder why he plays in the NFL. Like I remember the first time I met him, we were benching, and he spotted me, and I thought he was a linebacker. And Tom was like, "Yeah, that's James Starks, uh, running back for the Packers." I was like, "That's a running back, good lord!" But like, it you don't get to see it just by being around the people, but like you really pick up on it when you're in it and you have to do it yourself. Um, and do you think that for a lot of kids, that is something that like immediately deflates their confidence because like me as a freshman, it deflated the shit out of my confidence. I literally got to a point where I was just like, yeah, I don't even know if I should even be at this school, but obviously with a place like, um, North Dakota state, that is very pristine and, you know, is a powerhouse in and of itself. Do you get kids that are like that? Or do you guys got to like, from your aspect of what you've seen so far, um, since it's your first year, do you see kids that are like that? Or is it more so of like you guys cut, try to stomp that out from day one?
1: This coaching staff has done an incredible job of being spot, you know, being as spot on as you can be with, with kids and their character and their coachability. Uh, and that's because of our recruiting process and how we go about evaluating and getting to know them and their family and getting to know how they react when they hit adversity and talking to their high school coaches and talking to you know, ever, anyone that is a part of their inner circle, we, we try to, to get in touch with and truly ask the hard questions. And the transparency that the staff gives to recruits is unlike anything that I've ever been around because it's, it's real, it's genuine. If, if, if we see something specific about your play and we feel strongly about, you know, you do this well or you don't do that well this this is our process and we are not going to deviate because we've, we've seen success doing it but to answer your question I think that you can find out how a kid is going to handle adversity during that first couple weeks um, you know through through coming to summer camps and and coming to a you know coming to a, a, a full padded you know three-day camp and seeing like how are you how are you going to step up on day three when you're super sore and you're tired and you've had five practices already? And, you know, how are you going to respond? Um, It's, it's a really, it's a really glaring thing as you fall out on day one, but then on day two, uh, you know, it's, you're, you're, you're not rising to the occasion with competition. Um, You know, when we get into training camp specifically coming up here though, like, I think that, you, your program, no matter what sport or whatever uh, level you're at, your program is going to be, the success of it is going to de- be dependent on how your leaders bring the other guys up with them. Like, it's not like I'm the number one tight end and I'm not going to reach back and try to help the freshman who's, who's 17, 18 years old. These guys have, these guys see each other when they were five years younger because they were there in their shoes and it's really, really impressive the little the little brother, big brother system that we have here taking our seniors, our fifth, sixth year seniors and pairing them up with the young guys and, and taking the lessons that have been learned over those five years and trying to make sure that they don't make the same mistakes and try to make sure that they sustain their confidence because it's really, really easy to think, man, like I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Like this is, this is going to be a long road. But our process is to take it a day at a time, no matter where you're at, a senior, a freshman, if we're in the weight room, if we're uh, out, you know, competing, doing something else, take it a step at a time. So if that answers your question, I i, I that was a good question, John.
0: Yeah, no, I just uh, like I said, like kind of like how we were talking about when we first got on here about how like there are certain things that like I've always just naturally been curious about, but it's more so of like you don't get to see it nor hear it. And I also think, too, that like when you're in a public setting, like kind of like how obviously, you know, we're recording this, it's eventually going to be put out there. You have no idea who's going to listen to it. I think a lot of people um, have and I don't know if it's like their ego, but like I think a lot of people have an issue um, being vulnerable, but like not being vulnerable by like spilling every emotion out of them, but more so being vulnerable in like the sense of like, yo, that kind of fucked up my confidence a little bit. And like, it really had me double thinking like, yo is playing a sport at a high level really for me? Or did I just get lucky? But, but people don't like talk about those things more so. And it's not like a, a woe is me type thing. It's just more so of like, yo, did you think about that? And then obviously a coach, if you went through that yourself, you're able to identify with a kid and be like, yo, look, chill, chill out. Like you're a freshman. Like, this is a completely different level. This is a completely different game. You're going against kids that were the best on their team, All-Americans at their team. Like, you're supposed to feel this. You're supposed to do this. Don't take it as a bad thing. Realize, like, hey, this is going to get you better in the long run type thing. So that was, like, something I was always curious about, you know, especially – and then, obviously, you coached – you've coached at a high level as well. So that's why I wanted to ask that.
1: No, I think you make a really good point. I think that when you're looking at – our program and it's not the same everywhere else, but it's, there's, there's there's place that, that are developing programs. Our guys that come in as freshmen, like if, you know, we want you to develop over a year or two in the weight room, mentally, physically, you know, gain your confidence in our scheme. We're not trying to throw you to the fire. We're trying to make, we're trying to build a foundation with your, with, like I just said, mental, physical, Um, all those things with our scheme so that when you get to your sophomore, junior, senior year, you're playing confident, fast, physical football, which is what we do here. And you have to learn the way to before you can step on the field and be a part of what the other guys are, are doing. Like there's a reason that there's been a lot of guys drafted from this school, most recently um, Christian Watson receiver. And I didn't have the chance to coach him, but I had the chance to meet him and just, an incredible young man. Like he's going to have a great career with the Packers, but he's, he's going to ball Coach, out. He's going to ball out. You know what? Coach Pauli <laughs> told me about him and his development, like his development over five years, like where he was and where he is now as a man. And it's going to make him a pro. He's a pro's pro man. He has been doing it since he was here at North Dakota state. That's the, that's the difference in the processes. These guys handle these They handle themselves differently than, um, than most places, uh, most places I've been. And it's throughout, it's not like one guy here and one guy there. Cause at Buffalo, man, we had some, we had some really, we had some pros, pros, Derek Patterson, his brother, James Patterson is still there. Like there, like there's a bunch, you know, I can go down the line. I'm, you know, and there's, there's just a difference when everyone is trying to be that pros pro and that's what, uh, what's, what's going on here. So I would tell you that there's a little less pressure to, to play automatically and it's more self-inflicted, I guess, from the players uh, here. Um, and that's why we have guys trying to mentor each other, the older guys trying to mentor younger guys and get to know the ins and outs of where they're from because homesickness is a real thing. You know that, John. I mean, you went, you went away to school. You were, at, um, you, you were at Hobart and you were at Mercyhurst. Like, you know, I was uh, I went to school in Chicago, I, man
0: yeah no call me crazy but i didn't No, that that didn't apply to me <laughs> listen i'm in that's good prison, bro yeah no i'm, I'm <laughs> a child I, i'm in since i've been young i'm just like yo well, i gotta get I, I gotta go see the world i gotta get out there like obviously you miss home right and it's obviously like um i think a lot of things that a lot of freshmen go through that they look to be tough guys about and not admit to um is more so just like fuck man like I'm not. I'm not playing right away. Um, I'm not really fitting in with the guys like I thought it would be because there is that sense of like it's not high school where you know they're your boys and you grew up with them. It's more so of like, yeah, we're boys, but we're only boys because we go to school together, we're on the team together. But at the same time, it's it's different because you're competing for a job, and there's that added pressure of. Um, and I heard someone say this to me. It was never something I thought about, but it was. Uh, you have that added pressure of. If I don't play next year, I got freshmen coming in that might be better than me or play. And then you're a junior, and then you're so focused on the shit that doesn't even really matter. That's not even real. That by the time you get to your junior senior year, you didn't even develop.
1: No doubt. No doubt. You're focused on all the wrong things. You know, you should be thinking inside out. You know, let let everyone else do their thing. You focus on what's important and your weaknesses and your strengths and, and growing it um you know I, I would i would tell you i would tell you this so you were, you, know, you didn't you weren't homesick but i'll tell you one thing i was i was about to run back to buffalo um, <laughs> in, in in october of 2010 yeah i mean that, and i But you I were was in Chinatown I know man i was in the shy man i was we were I was, it was a great Love time me some don't chicago get, don't don't get me wrong chicago's easily my favorite city but uh i was uh, in this can, this is an interesting perspective. I was talking to, to someone about this, but recently, when I was in high school, I felt like I was, you know, a somebody, which I wasn't. Um, and <laughs> and I soon realized when I got to Chicago, I, I, I wasn't. Like I realized that, wow, like I'm playing with kids from Texas, Florida, California, and my perspective on just everything, you know, like whether. And it's funny, I'm going to just bring this up, but like talking about food, like, like in my head, I thought like Buffalo, like was the only place that had great food in the country. And my buddies from Texas and Florida were like, dude, shut up. Like, open your lens. Like, and, and, you know, I just like felt like I didn't fit in because I, and, and the reason I didn't fit in was because I wasn't allowed, I wasn't opening up. I wasn't trying mm-hmm. to open my, my mind to a different perspective or different lens, a different, um, a different environment. Um, and it was a melting pot, and, and that's just college sports in general. You get guys from all over the country, from all different backgrounds, from all different households, from all different situations, that are putting, you know, put into a dorm room um, and have to get to know each other and have to get and put up with each other a little bit and figure it out. And uh, my one of my best friends of the day, Jordan Cruz, he's from he's from Dallas, Texas. He he kind of talked me, uh, you know, talked me out of leaving after that first semester and it was the best thing I've done. I wouldn't be coaching right now if it wasn't for him kind of convincing me to stay at Lake Forest, finish it out, because uh, I would have probably came home and I don't know – I really don't know what I'd be doing. I, I don't know if I'd be coaching. So I, I owe him a lot, and he's a great friend of mine. And But the, the – I want to go back to what I was talking about with, like, the, the perspective and the lens. John, we talked about off, – off the podcast about a month ago, we just talked about, you know – failing and failing intentionally and trying to grow and I don't think I really understood that until I was like 25. And I don't know about you, but like I think I was I went through a phase in my early years of coaching where I did not I was I was afraid to fail because I wasn't even I had that imposter syndrome like I wasn't supposed to be a college coach because I was never supposed to play college football according to my high school coaches. You know, so, like, mm-hmm. I, I was afraid to fall on my face. But then I realized, I believe it was November of, like, 2016 or 17. I'm sitting at my desk and I'm like, I ain't bringing anything to the table for my players right now. I'm not bringing any new, like, scheme, new fundamentals, um, new books, new, new knowledge. I'm not bringing anything that these guys are going to take, take away from me as their coach uh, 10 years from now when they have a kid, you know, I'm not bringing any value. And I got, I got really pissed at myself and I kind of had a self, you know, I had an epiphany of like, man, like, all right, time, like time to change who you are. You don't have to be what you are right now. You have the choice to take steps to, to grow. So, you know, since then, man, I've, I've really tried to be intentional about podcasts, books, you know, things like that, man. And, um, I know I guess went on a little tangent there, but it's it's a moment in my life that was kind of a uh it's it was influential. It was I don't if I didn't have that kind of wake up call, I don't I don't know if I'd still be in coaching. I probably would have got out and I probably would be would be working a different job. But it's so rewarding. Uh you see our reward as a coach is to see it ten years from now and see what guys are doing. You know, whether it's being the father, whether it's coaching whether it's playing in the NFL or whether it's, you know, being super successful as an entrepreneur or whatever it is, it's always getting those phone calls of catching up and, and seeing how, seeing how things are going just in, in life. Cause it's beyond the game, whether it's lacrosse or football or baseball, whatever you're, whatever you're coaching a guy or a girl in it's, it's big picture. It's a 40 year decision when you, when you pick a school, not a, not a four year decision. What do you,
0: what do you mean by 40 year decision versus four? And then I'm gonna get, and then I'm gonna circle back to what you were just saying, because how you yeah. were like, I don't know if you felt this way, because I, I yeah. uh not completely, but in a different roundabout way, similar, but not. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put a percentage on it. I, it's just not. I don't, I didn't feel the same way 100. percent But I have like something that I could add yeah. to that.
1: But um, yeah. what do you mean by 40 versus four? It was a thing. This is something that um, a coach that I work for, at Concordia, Chicago, uh, Randy Ari, head coach. He's he won a crap ton of games at Saginaw Valley State. Um, he actually was – he hired Mike LaFleur and, um, and the GM of the New England Patriots uh, on the same staff at Saginaw Valley, Nick Asario. Um, mm-hmm. So he's got – it's just kind of a crazy story with, with his coaching tree. But he said in our recruiting process, the kid's like, listen, when you're making this decision, it's not a 4 year decision. It's a 40-year decision because – of the relationships that you're going to build, the relationships you're going to sustain; those relationships that are going to affect every aspect of your life. The lessons you're going to learn through the coaching staff that you're going to play for; those relationships that are going to transcend on way beyond your four years of playing. You know, but more importantly, and then obviously in the recruiting process, we talk about education and your your academics and getting your degree and and striving there. But those relationships, as John, you know, like relationships and networking in this life are gold you know it's it's really about you know it's yeah it's who you know but it's really about who knows you and and the the relationships you have there so that's to answer your question what that phrase is is from a former mm-hmm. head coach that I work for and it's something that's kind of stuck with me because it really is a decision that's way beyond just a a four year, five year stint. It's, Mm -hmm. it's one that's going to, it's going to have a ripple effect to anyone that really, you know, comes into your life down the road. Yeah, no, uh,
0: no doubt. I think, see, like when we start talking about college and bring up college, um, I, it's, it's tough. It's really tough for me to have a, I would say like a unbiased opinion on it because there's so many angles that we can go from for college like obviously which um, you see what's going on right now at the NCAA how you know players can get paid and, and, and all those things and then there's that conversation of you know which athletes should get paid which athletes shouldn't get paid because for football and basketball they're bringing in all the dollars to the school and then like well what if that kid gets hurt or blows it tears his Achilles you know tears his ACL he he's not going to be a first rounder but the school makes all that money that kid doesn't get that money like and then on the and then the other angle is of it and I'm not saying like adding it into what you're saying I'm just like you know speaking yeah. out loud from things I've thought yep. about in the past is and then you have the conversation of you know tr- I uh, I just asked I just asked uh, this girl I had on the podcast um that I'm actually really tomorrow Our- I asked her I said you know do you think that you know with how tri- you know there's some kids that you know want to be in trades right there's or no i didn't ask this to the girl i asked this to the kid i already released My my has gone all over the place um i asked this kid i said you know you went to school you had to go to school to play you, you played lacrosse i said but you said that a lot of your buddies you know have college debt but they're tradesmen and they're not even using their degree and i said do you ever think there'll be a time where the ncaa will allow or even college will allow say hey look if you want to be a tradesman and you want to be a plumber rather than taking certain classes we'll allow you to do like a an apprenticeship and will allow you to go to seminars or go to different conventions all across the country, like how they do have those like plumber conventions and and shit. And I'm just using plumber as an example and, and still, and still allow you to get some form of education, but, and still like be able to play sport and stuff like that, because the economics and the business side of college, I don't think is something that a lot of kids understand at a young age. And then on the flip side of it, I, like you said, the 40 year decision, I know a ton of people that like, they look back and they're like, wow, I went into massive amounts of debt just to play a sport because I am not even using my degree. I'm doing something else. And I didn't really know who I was or what I wanted to do at such a young age. And, you know, all I heard growing up was not me, but like conversations I've had, all i heard Mm -hmm. growing up was go to college or you're going to be a failure. have this fat bill that I have to pay back and student loans you can't you know default on you have to pay those back um, and you have to pick a major by a certain age and stuff like that and then on top of it kind of you know leaning on what you're saying I really don't think and I know we had this conversation off before we started recording is I really don't think people understand that people are your greatest asset like you're really mm-hmm. your greatest asset is people and not something but networking mm-hmm. to benefit you to benefit others if that makes sense like we're like obviously we're doing this right now but it's not to benefit you it's not to benefit me it's to benefit anyone that's listening or even players that you have to hear different or be listening to a conversation that you might not hear gotcha
1: you know i i think for your point is everyone has a different experience when you go through your recruiting process and you're picking a school and sports have different processes like the recruiting process for lacrosse is different than baseball, different than basketball, different than football, you mm-hmm. know? And so I, that's why I think football is such a special game. And I'm not saying that other sports are not, but, you know, you usually graduate with a class of 20 to 25 guys that you started with in freshman. Now it's mm-hmm. going to change because of the, it's going to change because of the transfer portal and things like that. But just having consistent, and the buildup of those years, it, you get to a point as a senior, as a, you know, and, and maybe as a fourth or fifth year, sixth year senior, and you're like, wow, like, this was an impactful, uh, you know, opportunity. Now, you bring up the point, John, I was a division three athlete, man, I got 1000s and 1000s of dollars in loans. So I hope Sally may listen to this, you know, but like, <laughs> it's, it's, You know, the thing is and the thing about it is this, though, is you make a great point. When when you are paying your way for school, it's really hard if you have to sit there and say, like, wow, like that was so worth it to go pay, you know, pay for school. And I had a bad experience. I paid to play a sport and I and I didn't like the outcome of it. You know, I think that that comes back to um, the beginning Process of your recruiting process, like did did you fully know what was the situation was going to be in that building when you're going to go play a sport? Did you know? Did you ask all the right questions when you were on your visits, you know, visiting the campus? Is it was the lifestyle that you wanted? Was it a too small school, too big school? But without going into the rabbit hole with that, I think that, and I heard this actually this morning. It was a, a podcast I was listening to, and it's an interesting perspective, but the guy talked about going to college for one year, you go to college for your first year of college and you learn, you, 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 you take your basic courses, but then you go out and you get a job for a year and then you come back to school. because experience like you have nothing to apply what you learned from that, from four, like, you know, going four years and then not being able to apply any of that or gain real life experience when four years, five years hits, like you get out of college, and you don't have any experience, but yet you're supposed to have experience. And I really like, you know, I'm, uh, it's a different, it's a different twist, but I kind of was like, that's an interesting, it's an interesting lens to look through. And from a successful standpoint of, of, of being successful, of going to school and finishing, I, I, I can see that one day possibly transcending to that. I don't know when. Uh, but there's, there was some value in my thought process of, of real life experience early, like talking 18, 19 years old, um, instead of being 21, 22 and expecting to have five internships and, uh, you know, to obtain a job, you know, with, with zero experience. So, uh, that was that was something that I took away this morning from a from a podcast I was listening to. I think it was John Maxwell that said that, but yeah, it, it's education the the college the college uh, education man. It's it's interesting depending on the level on what people see value in. Uh, there's an extreme value in your education, uh, but like you said, it's about the people. No matter where you go. Yeah, without a doubt.
0: And like I'm definitely like gonna rub some people the wrong way here saying this, but like I it's like school I got school covered, like through scholarships and and like grade like having good grades in high school and like all that stuff. Because like my mom broke it down to me and she was just like, Yo, if you get school covered, like you're essentially getting an imaginary like two hundred thousand dollar check when you graduate and then you can leverage that imaginary money. And I never knew what that meant. But then obviously like we were talking about like fucking up and stuff. It was like, kind of like that freedom of like, I could go fuck up. I could go like burn out in the real world. And there is no, like, I don't want to say there's no financial consequence. Cause that's not the right way to say it, but there's no, like, I'm not having to pay back $500 a month in student loans. Right. Yeah. Like I'm, I, I can go spend that money freely, essentially in a way, you know, I could work and I can learn things. And I've always like, and when I say I rub people the wrong way, like, I wanted to go to law school to start, but then, and so I started to, I did political science as a major, um, international law, and then I just genuinely liked learning about it. And like it taught me how to like critically think, how to look, up, look at things from an objective point of view, how to, you know, see both sides to something, both sides to a coin. Um, just in general. And so I thought there was value in that, but I always knew I wanted to get in the business, which that's what I'm doing right now. Um, Mm -hmm. and obviously before we started talking, I was telling you some things we got cooking up, um, for the future. And, um, I, I look back and I kind of think like, yo, like could I have learned that in business school? And a lot of the things that I've learned, I've learned from like we were talking about with people and networking and realizing that people are your greatest asset is having like being vulnerable and being like, yo, hey, uh, Mike, I want to be a coach one day. Wh- what did you do? Like, how did you do it? Wh- what are some things that you thought you knew that you didn't know and vice versa? Like, what do you think? And then you leave nuggets of wisdom. I'm like, okay, okay, that makes sense. And then I go ask, I don't know, Joe Schmo. I go ask Tom. I go ask, you know, all these different people. And then like through that, w- through that you can kind of connect the dots and really figure out like, okay, what is the right approach for me? Was I an idiot for not taking school seriously? no, because I'm doing this avenue. But if I wanted to be a doctor, yeah, I kind of just (laughs) threw that away, because that's not going to happen now. So Mm -hmm. I always wonder, like, how, like, with kids, um, especially when you're playing a sport where you're trying to get them to buy into the program, obviously, at North Dakota State, you get special kids, different, but how you can figure out a way to have kids really connect the dots on, like, what you were just saying, like, hey, the journey you're about to go on from 18 to the is going to manifest into a 40 year journey, like you were saying, and helping them learn how to connect without it necessarily benefiting the university or the organization that they are a part of for those four years, just to then get more kids, turn them out and stuff like that. And like, obviously I'm making it seem like it's corrupt what's going on, but you get the angle I'm coming from. I'm not saying it's corrupt. I'm just saying like, how do you put more emphasis on, Hey, like this state's great. Like there's ballers here. You're going to play great football, but maybe it's not for you, not because you're not good, but maybe because you have other things you want to do later in life. And this may not be the place for you.
1: You know, what's crazy is there's some guys that have come here and played and they were ballers. I'm talking like ballers, like, uh, and wind up just not wanting to play after. Like, their goal was not to play at, in the NFL. Their goal was to come and be a part of the tradition, leave a legacy, and then go on and, and get a, a huge ranch in the middle of North Dakota or to, um, you know, to do something in the oil business or whatever it may be. Like, that's the thing that's special is because you can be who you are while still trying to reach the main goal of, of – Of one getting your degree and two going and winning a national championship because that's what the goal was it's not to win a conference championship it's not to play in a bowl game it's to win a national championship here and it's a different mentality um because it's the long season but they they everyone's everyone embraces it here it's 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 a part of it's been a part of the of the culture and the one fact about like the the i talked about the winning tradition but I'm pretty sure it was since nineteen sixty five, might be even earlier than that, we've had three losing seasons. Like where you're under five hundred? Yes. Three 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 losing seasons. The only other the only other program that's won more games in the last fifty years than us is North uh is, is Ohio State.
0: What about Bama?
1: More than Bama. That's fucking wild.
0: When's uh, so, so basically, what you're saying is there's about to be a uh, Netflix doc that comes out on North Dakota State.
1: <laughs> there's, I, I'm not saying there sure, but I'm saying there, there could be. Um, you know, I, I think that the just the development, man, and that's where our okay, case. So you asked me this. You asked me when we talk to kids, how we're able to show them. They're they're for what's going to happen in four years. And it's really through the people. It's through getting them around our guys, connecting them with alumni. And if you want to be a business major or you want to do something specific, we have such a strong alumni base that we can call up, a, you know, a dentist that was an NDSU alum and played for us. And now we have a we have someone else that we have a recruit that wants to, you know, go into that you know, and, and talk about his experience and then how that applied to getting him to being a dentist and that seeing that visually or talking on the phone and seeing that the path is possible Mm -hmm. is, that is why the success of landing the right kids and the right recruits that have a vision of where they want to be and what they want to do, um, that's kind of how we've been successful with connecting those dots for, for a 17, 18 year old. That's got to make a really, really tough decision. We try to make it as clear as possible. We try to, we try to paint a picture um, of what their future could be. Uh, mm-hmm. When they come in here and they work hard and they apply themselves and they do, do the right things and they, they stay out of trouble. And, you know, it's, it's about the transparency. It's about the genuineness. It's about, you know, having the hard conversations uh, and really pouring into the guys and, and, You know, it's bigger, it's bigger than, like I said earlier in the conversation, it's way, way bigger than us. Uh, This is a legacy and a tradition that's been going on for years. So uh, I think we all realize it as a coaching staff and, you know, as, and our players do too. Yeah.
0: And how, how, like, it it sounds so stupid and I'm almost laughing as I ask it, but what if a kid legitimately is like, yo, I don't know what I want to do. I just want to play football.
1: (laughs) That's happened. That happens. You know, of course, and that's, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good that's that's a good question. So, you know, I think we, you try to guide guys like that and you try to get them into, you know, they want to play football, obviously, you know, they want to go play in the NFL, but you got to show them the value in the education. And that comes down to do you take academics seriously as a coach and a coaching staff? And we do. So, you know, I, there's guys on every team that are like that, but there's still the standard and there's still a way of doing things. And there's in. You gotta, you gotta prove and you gotta show to your players the value in the education because whether it's sitting down and explaining, listen, you're getting a free education. You know, Coach Peters, you know, is sixty thousand dollars in debt or whatever it is. You know, like it's perspective and showing the perspective, and so uh, fortunately, we we have some really really good kids in, in, in our program here at North Dakota State that are fortunate and grateful, you know, to, to be here. We really don't deal with a ton of, a ton of, you know, ego, you know, a mm-hmm. phrase that a phrase that really thrown around in, in our office and is when you walk in the doors, leave your ego there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's something that's from the top down from our head coach down to, down to, you know, you know, every last player on the team, that's, it's, it's not about you. It's about, it's about the it's about the success program, and you look at the you look at Christian who was just drafted. You know he what you know some of his most impressive plays, John, were blocking the shit out of someone on a run play. It wasn't you know it wasn't a you know he had a thousand yards you know he had all these you know where he's mossing guys and running by guys. Yeah, those are impressive, but as that's what you're supposed to do as a receiver. Without a doubt, that's what, that's, yeah, that's your that's, that's your job. Yeah, but. When you're cutting off a safety and then going to the other side of the field and taking out a corner, that's different. That's culture. That's that's grittiness. That's everything that you, you know, teams and you know, coaches you know want out of players. Like, mm-hmm. like that's you see the willing. It's we call it a will to block. You know, like you know, how willing are you to sacrifice yourself for your teammate? Um, and we do what we do we do uh we transition to we transition to block more and better than anyone in the country and it's on tape and it's that's hard fact so it's uh it's something to be proud of and it's something that we continue to work on and and it's it speaks about speaks about how much they care it really does but yeah no it's it's there's there's a lot there's a lot of layers man to this this culture here and um still learning, still learning and still trying to, trying to grow from these, these coaches that I'm around.
0: Yeah. So what is like, let's get back to, you know, obviously what we were talking about before we kind of were spinning here um, mm-hmm. in a good way though. So, you know, you got to North Dakota state, right? Like what, what was your initial impression of North Dakota state? Cause obviously it's a powerhouse. They've won nine of the last national championships. You definitely had a, thought process of okay i think this is what it's going to be like i think this is what the experience is going to be like and now you've been there for you know a little bit what were the initial this the initial thoughts of what you thought it was going to be and then what is it now in comparison to that and what are some things that before we get into everything else that where you're like oh i get it now i get why they're successful
1: so um when i decided to come out to fargo uh, my first question my grandfather asked me is, like, have you seen the movie Fargo or have you seen the TV show Fargo? Like, you mm-hmm. want to go out there? And I'm like, I haven't and I don't think I am going to watch it because I want to get my own perspective on it. So I just thought Fargo was a super small town. I thought it was super uh-huh. small. And it's really it's really not. It's, it's, it's 200,000 people. Uh, it's, it's right. On, it's right on the border of um, North Dakota and Minnesota. So at any wake and second, I could, like, drive into Minnesota, like, less than five minutes. And, yeah. but so I, I pulled into town and I got to, you know, you're know, stopping at gas stations and stopping at restaurants the first couple of days I'm here. I'm like, this reminds me a lot of home, uh, very Buffalo esque and, and then I really thought about it. I'm like, well, Buffalo is really well known for being like a Midwest city out on the East coast. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I got a sense of home, you know, from the jump especially being a part of North Dakota state, like it's a big deal out here, man. It's a big deal. It's the, right. It is very similar to being the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo. It is, it is the NFL team of, of North Dakota, uh, and it's well-known. And, you know, even when I was at, a, you know, another school, like you said, you coached there. Oh, that's cool. Oh, you coach, at, you coach at North Dakota State? Like, that's a big deal. And so it's, it's been a really cool thing to just be a part of something really m- bigger than yourself. That was a wake-up call for me. That was kind of like when I knew, like, oh wow, like this is a big deal. Um, you know, I think there was a couple times where I realized, like, wow, like this is this is this is incredible. Um, walking in the walking in the door the first day and seeing the all the national championship trophies in the lobby, uh, mm-hmm. that was a wow factor. Um, walking through the facilities and just meeting all the people and just everyone being so down to earth, like man, like I really. This is am This is different. You know, this is this isn't. This is this is. Uh, you can see that it's egoless, it's selfless. People are wanting to know your story. People are asking like, where you from? Like, you know, tell me who you are. Like, given time. Um, that's kind of new. That's kind of what I knew. Like, this is where I wanted to be. Um, the moment I knew like why the success is where it, you know why it's been this way is because of the consistency of the vision and being able to reset every year you know whether it's in january when they win a national championship here okay like celebrate for a couple of days and then all right on on to the next one and one our, our head strength coach coach kramer like you cannot wear national championship gear in our weight room because it's it's just part of the culture, like it, we're on to the next one. Like, take that shirt, pack it away. We're we're going back to work. So when we get back, to, when we get back to work at the end of January, early February, and it's they they it's amazing how fast. It's not like they forget it, but when I showed up in early February, essentially they just got off of winning a national championship like less than a month earlier, and you would have never realized it. You didn't hear a peep about it, John. And so the, the final thing I'll say about what I knew, like that, what I knew why there was a success was the support from like the, the university uh, and the, the guy that's leading the helm, you know, Coach, coach Matt Ends. like, t- I mean, talk about a guy that just does it right, selfless, real person, not fake, everything that he's is, he is. And, um, I've just, I've just learned a lot, man, but like, there's, there's a reason and it's, there's, it's a, it's like an onion, man. It's layered. There's so many layers to it here, but it's been formed over however many years since they transitioned, uh, from division two when a national championships to division, division one, FCS, um, And then the last thing I'll say, John, is the the really, really interesting thing about this program is just the consistency in coaching staff. So we had – so Craig Bull, who's now the head coach at Wyoming, was the head coach that helped the transition from Division II to FCS. Coach Kleinman was on that staff and was then hired as the next head coach. Coach Entz worked for Coach Kleinman and then was hired as the next head coach. So – Greg Bowles at Wyoming Kleiman's at Kansas state and co is now the head coach. There's been consistency for over a 10 year span of the, the plan. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're going out and you're hiring in a big name. When the head coach leaves, you're hiring someone that knows how the success was done and then putting their own spin on it. And it's been, that's, that's really a, a, a testament, you know, to the, um, to the administration, but really the coaching staff, because they've been winning and winning at a very, very, very high level. Uh, to be able to hire an in state and an, an on staff coach, so that doesn't happen a lot of the times. A lot of the times, if a really good job opens up, there's there's, uh, there's people gunning for it. But sustained success comes with consistency and that compounds, and that's that's why it's that's why it's been and gotten to this point. Uh, you know, this you know, being nine out of 11 and hopefully, you know, competing for, you know, a 10th one this, this fall. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. Cause
0: then it's just like, how do you get, um, from your perspective, from what's different about when you played from, you know, the way you were coached growing up and then even in college and now, um, you know, your experience in your first couple of coaching jobs It's easier said than done, obviously, to be like, okay, you celebrated. Now let's go get the next one. Because people, like you said, people have different goals, motives. Not everyone is going to want to be Tom Brady. And is like, all right, I'm I'm going for the next one. Like I'm going for my first one, right? Um, And especially kids in college. Like I get that like North Dakota is a special place. But like at the same time, you're talking about like young adults that are in college, like we both were in college. We knew that there is distractions everywhere that you look that are not pertaining to football. And sometimes those distractions are beneficial to, you know, just not getting burned out and performing at your best and always staying in peak shape and, and peak performance. So what is it that is like the buy-in tool for like, okay, no national championship stuff. It's a brand new year. We're starting over and, getting the players to buy in for, or even, you know, from what you've seen so far to buy into like, yeah, it is the new year. That was last year. That doesn't mean anything. Now it's on to the next journey, the next accomplishment that we need to do as a team and as young men. So
1: it's a, the best way to answer your question is going to be is to, to kind of tell you what my first visual experience was walking into the first team run of the off season uh, here. So what I mean by team run is the, you know, they get back from their vacation uh, come in and I'm, and I'm the new guy I'm standing on the sideline and I'm just watching, just watching. I'm kind of evaluating looking and seeing, you know, like what's, what's the team like and trying to compare it to where I just was at Buffalo and like, what's the differences. And there was a absolute relentless strain there was a championship level strain that did not have to be there. I guess what I mean by that is you could they could have just rested on their accomplishments that happened three, three and a half weeks prior, four weeks, whatever. But you would have, you, like I said, you would have never known that they would have won. They just won the national championship. But I, and it comes back to the, the legacy of, The winning like you have to you have to be able to to put it aside and you have to be able to take the next step and put it underneath the put it put your championship underneath the bed and go back to work and i don't think that there's a true great answer for you john but i do think that it's led by example like everyone that's been in this building that's a player has seen it happen They've mm-hmm. seen they've seen a championship one, and then they've seen the guy that they look up to put it underneath the rug, and then go get another one, or compete for another one. And it's it's just such a perfect example of you are you know you're able to pick up on actions of others. You know, people can talk to talk, people can say all they want. But you really learn and you grow by by watching others that you look up to and that you that you truly care about how they're carrying themselves. And that's what a lot of this success has come down to is we've had really good young men that carry themselves on the field, off the field, and there's an expectation for the guys that follow because they don't want to be the class that you know doesn't reach that success that the class that just graduated reached. Does that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like these these guys are competitors. And that comes that comes back to the recruiting process. is like they don't they like they, they want to be the best class that's ever been in North Dakota State. Yeah. Like, perfect example. You just talked you talked about earlier, Carson Wentz and Trey Lance played here. Those two quarterbacks aren't even the best quarterbacks that played in the last five years in a standpoint of winning. Easton Stick had won more games. And he's and he was a fourth round draft pick for the Chargers, so I guess my point is is like that kid was an absolute competitor. He might not have been as, as he might not have been as athletic as like Carson or Trey, but man, that that kid, from what our coaching staff said, was just relentless. Just you get hitting the hitting the teeth, get up, and not even phased. And um, some of those things you can't teach. Some of those things are visually seen and 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 they then the guys adapt and they and they and they grow in their they grow on their own through being a part of the program
0: yeah that's like uh one of my favorite things because i used to laugh at it all the time is when <laughs> like i've had certain coaches that are just like hey we're gonna find out who the men are today we're gonna find out who the boys are and you knew right then and there you're like ah oh, fuck like Damn. Like obviously practices practices are always hard when you're competing at that level. But like, you're just like, yo, I know, like from a lacrosse standpoint, I was always just like, like when I heard that, I'm like, all right, here we go. Cause like, I, I just knew that like, I was going to get slashed hard as hell. I'm going to get checked extra hard. Like we were going to be doing drills that like were physically demanding. And then like, obviously like football is like football, um, do you think that obviously, I actually know your answer. I don't want to say, do you think what are from your point of view, what are um, how beneficial are those practices or are those times where it's like, hey, like we're about to put you guys through through hell? And you're gonna you thought you had adversity before, you're about to face some real adversity in terms of getting those guys to grow into men that lead, fulfilling and great lives after they're done playing their ball, whether they make it to the league or not.
1: You know what? We, we had a receiver meeting. Um, we had a receiver meeting, would have been yesterday or the day before, and I was sitting in the back and I'm listening and we're finishing up and Coach Polly asked the guys, the seniors or the older guys, what advice do you have for the younger guys? And, you know, guys were like saying hydrate and things like that. <laughs> but one of the one of the guys said, "Know the difference between being hurt and being injured. Like you yeah, have that, to be able to." Wow. Every, yes. Every, yes. Every, yes. A, everyone, everyone is gonna be hurting. It is painful. It is grueling. It is long days. It is mentally straining. That is the that is the bare minimum, but the best that do it and the guys that are excelling. At this level, or at you know, go on to play at the next level, are okay. I know I'm going to be hurting, I'm it's but it's a matter of taking care of your body, taking ice baths neck down, you know, taking you know, whatever you know, precautions you have to do to be able to be at your best the next day. Put your head down and don't look forward, don't look at the practice 25 at the end of August, but look at practice two then get yourself ready and then look at practice three and do your best at the, in the present, you know, and you're going to have the success that you want. So I, I thought that was really, really good perspective from, from one of our receivers uh, just talking about just real life stuff, man. Like that's, that's, that was one of the, I was, I was like, man, that was, that was some coach talk right there. And I, I, I thought that was really good. Um, you know, there was an, Uh, There was something that I read recently in it, and it kind of applies to what we're talking about right now. Uh, It talked about, you know, the wake of a boat, you know, the wake of a boat does not accelerate the boat. The what's in front of a boat does not accelerate, accelerate a boat either. It's the motor that is in the boat. So stay in the present. And I thought that was really, really powerful. I thought that was something that I I'm going to try to, you know, give to our guys, make a copy of it and, and give. But yeah, there was that's just something that I just thought that kind of applied to what to what our what our guy was talking about with having pushed through adversity. Yeah, no, because I mean, uh, you know, this
0: like everyone's hurt, like yeah. everyone's hurting. like dude, you remember so like rough. getting, you remember getting like shin splints. <laughs>
1: I remember getting (laughs) chinsplains working out with you and and Tom and we would run, we'd run that turf and run the stairs. Dude, you're not, I
0: don't think, I don't think anyone's going to agree, but I, because I have buddies that are just like, no, that's just luck. I am convinced that I never had a major injury or were ever really hurt because we worked out with him.
1: Yeah, he was different, man. I wish I worked out with him for years, man. I, I unfortunately only had, that, that really one off season and I worked out with Tom and I, I would have been a completely different athlete in college, I think, if, if I would have stayed consistently with him instead of, because John, you were a couple years younger than me, right? Like I'm, I'm 29. Um, I graduated in 2014, but because uh, I, I, I trained, we trained together when I was going into my senior season of football. So, oh, I wasn't even.
0: I wasn't even like. I wasn't even in college yet.
1: You, you were def- I think you were at Hobart. I think you were a freshman.
0: That's no. I'm saying like when we when I first started. When I first started training with him, I was going in my senior season. Gotcha. Of gotcha, uh, gotcha. high school, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of high school.
1: Yeah, because Connor McNally was was training us too, and now he's at Kansas. He's strength coach at Kansas now. Oh yeah, that's the that's, that's the crazy a, part. You, you, yeah, yeah, no. I don't know if No, you know, I know com- that.
0: No, I wasn't sure if it was Kansas or Kansas State.
1: No, yeah, he's a he's at Kansas. He went with coach Leibold out there. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, pretty pretty cool man. The um but no, I I think that you know, to get to get back on like the the adversity stuff, the like the more guys dive into not failing but being intentional about seeking out like growth opportunities whether they succeed in the moment or they fail mm-hmm. i think it's extremely important that as a coach you you encourage it like you have to you have to create an environment in your room like your position room or your team where like failure is not like like you're you're not going to fail in practice and then it's the end of the world. Like you cannot, your body language cannot exemplify like it just ruined your whole day. And that and that comes down to what we talked about earlier is like the difference in the players now and maybe 15 years ago. And I'm not even saying when I was playing, I probably had bad body language too when I was, you know, getting, getting reamed. But it's just a completely different way you have to go about coaching up your guys, yelling at guys isn't the way. It I, I don't that's not how that's not how I coach and how our guys on our on our, our staff are really the coach and you gotta be able to to have conversations and you gotta keep guys ready for the next play. That's why we watch a crap ton of film. That's why we had meetings. We'll coach hard in the meeting room. You know, but on the field we, we gotta we gotta be able to stay even keel uh, and, and try to keep our players in the best mindset that they can be successful for the rest of the day, you know?
0: Yeah, and you know what I'm about to ask you. I uh, I asked you this before, but you know how um, I think I sent you the, the thing I saw on it, but it was like Nick Saban when um, Nick Saban was talking to his team, and this was back when they had like Waddle, Tua, uh, Hertz, like it was one of those ESPN um, all-accesses, and he was yep. basically going over um, what does it take? He said that they were getting um, hurricane windows on his house. I don't know where his house was. Maybe Bama, maybe Florida. I don't know. Um, yep. Maybe F- Florida, Bama shore. Who knows? <laughs> um, but Pro- he was probably saying, somewhere down there. Yeah, somewhere. Um, and he was saying how that he asked the guy. He goes, you know, how do they? How do you know which windows are better? And the guy told him because of what it takes to break them. You know. You know, stronger. It takes a lot more to break them. Those are the better windows. And he was saying how um, you have to be mentally tough to play football and you have to be mentally tough to be at a program like Bama and obviously a program that correlates to a program like North Dakota State. And he was saying that, you know, it's not, it's not your – how, how did he say it? He basically was saying that it's not your mission to break players, but you're going to get broken. That's just the nature of football. And you can't let if you're thinking about the last play and you're frustrated from the previous practice or something that broke you and how that ultimately is going to lead to you losing and messing up in the future. So like how you were saying, like you don't scream at your players, right? Me, I was the type of player where I needed a coach to scream at me. Otherwise, like I would like just go through the motions because I'm like, oh, okay. Like, he's not on my ass. Like, so I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong. Like, I'm doing mm-hmm. something fine. So how are you able to be mentally tough with your players without screaming at them? Because, like, to me, I'm just like, that wouldn't correlate to me.
1: But that's me personally. Well, I just think on the – I think on the field, like, you have to run a play 20 seconds later. If you're taking that time to dog cuss your player, you're not truly – getting a message across to correct a problem that just happened. If you have to use short, very precise coaching terms when you're on the football field, like you have to be very intentional. So if if a guy ran a speed cut out at four yards, it was supposed to be six, it's as simple as like, Mike, your depth, your depth was awful. You got to reach six and then I'm on to the next play. And then when we get back to the film room, I'm coaching that up, and I might get I might get on them, be like, man, you've you've run your speed outs at four yards the last two weeks. That's you're not being coachable. You're not taking what I'm taking the time to tell you, and you're not applying it. Like that, that's when you can coach guys hard is when you have when you're in a meeting room, when you're watching film, and there's no gray area because on the field, mm-hmm. like they can tell you like, oh well, you know, like I ran it at six. Well, I can't replay it on the field and I'm not going to have a dissertation about something that is a very small thing that can be corrected, you know, in a, in our group of 15, whatever amount uh, receivers. I think, I just think there's not, there's not value in the dog cussing. I think that's something that coaches do for themselves. Like if mm-hmm. you're, if you're a guy that's just cussing guys out and just yelling, like, is that really getting anywhere for the player that you're dog cussing. is that truly making him better because he doesn't does he understand the context i i've always heard the phrase don't listen to how i'm saying it but what i'm saying and i, and I can understand it and i have and I, and I get the message but i don't think our, our kids nowadays i don't think that applies i think that you have to coach these, these these kids differently than that era where you could sit there and say like don't listen to the message you know, don't listen to how I'm saying it, but what I'm saying, I don't think that's, I don't think you're getting the best out of your players by doing that. I think that's, that's staying in a lens that it's outdated where, you know, you're sitting here and you're making the player adjust to, you know, how you want to coach and how you want to lash out because you're mad that they didn't run the right route when really you probably could have, you know, coached it up better in the meeting room prior. And you're probably more pissed at yourself. That makes sense. Yeah.
0: No, that makes complete sense. I was always just curious because like I said, I was more receptive to coaches that would uh, scream at me, but after they scream at me, it's more so of just like, yo, like what like what are you doing? Like I need you to do this. This is why. But the in like you how you said you just had that player you were using a hypothetical and it's like, yo, you were running four the entire time. Like what are you doing? Like if a a coach isn't like and I it sounds like I needed to be baby that's not the case but like if I'm running it out and the first couple times I've run it and, it and it's four yards short and you're like yo run it two more times right like because I feel like some coaches don't necessarily like aren't hands-on enough that they think like every a little rep if that makes sense I mean it could be different mm-hmm. for lacrosse than it was football but I know like I've had some coaches that they don't critique every single rep, but then they don't say nothing. And then over time you keep doing it and keep doing it. And then they just fucking explode on you.
1: Well, we watch every single rep that happens in practice and Mm -hmm. every single rep, every single rep gets graded. So we're super intentional coach Pauly and and coach roll and and coach Braun and coach Jens, everyone on our staff, very intentional about correcting, correcting errors, quickly because it's 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 a two-way street. I go to a player or a coach goes to a player, we correct an issue. Okay, the ball's now in your court. We've given you the information. We've coached you up. We've told you what the issue was. Now you're going to take that and you're going to take that information and then you're going to apply it and you're going to try to correct it. If you're making mistake after mistake after mistake, are you actually listening to what is being said? That's where the frustration comes in, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, exactly. And I think I heard there's a, there's a phrase that there's a phrase that I believe it was, I believe it was coach Leipold. He said it, um, you, this is early on when I was, um, this is early on when I was at, at Buffalo, but he, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of it, but he said something along the lines of like being like what it means to like truly be like coachable. Um, you know, and i trying to think of it, but it, it's, I think I have it right here actually. Um, no, I, I'll find it. But yeah, it, it, it's just the, the court itself really, what it really was talking about was when you, when you get a coach to talk to you and, and, and coach you up on a, a coaching point, like like going out and and working on what coach is telling you is being coachable. Like listening to your coach is just being like respectable. Does that make sense? Like that's really what the quote was. Listening to your coach is being respectable, going out and working out what coach is telling you is being coachable. And there's a huge difference and something that's something that stuck with, with me is like, wow, like that really hits (laughs) that, uh, that's, there's a, there's a difference. So, um, you know, so I think being a really good teacher is really, really important now. I think that that's where the coaches that are just straight screamers get weeded out because you can't teach and you can't scream at the same time. You can't, you can't deliver a clear concise message to a kid or to another coach if you're yelling the whole time. That's just not it. And uh, for me, I'm around guys right now that just are incredible teachers understand situational things is it the right time to 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 coach hard is it the right time to put your arm around a kid and say next play we'll coach it up we'll coach it up later like there's there's uh there's a lot of really good examples by our by our staff on how they do it well, um, one thing you just said I hear a lot from people
0: that are coaching now that, um, you know, around my age or a couple of years older, as they say that they, and you said it just now a little bit, but they're always just like, we don't coach, we teach like for sure. so, So when you say teach, what is the, in your opinion, the big difference? I know you might've already said it with
1: like the not screaming and stuff, but what is that differential between coaching and teaching? So, uh, I mean, really, really what it comes down to is pouring into something or pouring into someone without expecting anything in return. Like, I think that teaching really what it boils down to is servant leadership. Like Mm -hmm. you are doing everything in your power to instill, whether it's a curriculum, whether it's, um, you know, skills, whether it's life lessons, you're trying to put kids, young adults in the best situation to be successful. And that's really what it, it comes down to. You got to really, you got to love your, your, you got to love your students, which really are your players. You know, you got to love, you know, even when they might not really fully understand what your where you see their, their future. Cause like, as a coach you've seen a bunch of guys go through and have success whether it's on the football field or off the football field and you see a freshman come in and you see some characteristics that other guys previously had and you you see a you see potential you know but potential is really it's it's not physical like it's just an idea like you have to apply yourself and you have to help your students and you have to help your players see that potential, and then teach the work ethic. And that's, that's where it comes down to teaching, man, is you can't just expect things to just unfold. Like, you have to, as a coach and as a teacher, you have to have an inside-out mentality. And what I mean by that is you have to be able to coach the player and teach the man. So what I mean by that is you have to separate the two. So you have to teach the young man or young woman about life and you have to teach them about life lessons. You have to teach them about certain things that are not getting taught at home. um, Because that's going to compound the trust that when you are coaching them hard, that it is for their own good and not for you as the coach. Does that make sense? No, that makes complete sense. You know, that and it's, it's it's really, really about and how you do that and how you teach the man and how you really get strong relationships, in my opinion, is you have to truly reach for depth in your conversations. Like, you have to be extremely intentional about your questions And you have to listen and you have to listen intently and you have to listen to not just respond. You have to listen to truly understand, like ask three questions about the same topic. You know, don't just rush on to the next one to get the conversation over kids nowadays see through it. They understand. They they see through bullshit, pardon me, but they do. They see through non genuine people. And so for, Like me as a coach, what I'm trying to do, and this is based off of, you know, a a leadership conference I was just at. And uh, the former head coach of the Chicago Bears, Mark Trussman, was speaking. And he was talking about how his pinnacle moment in his career when it turned around was when he sat down and he came up with his authentic narrative. And what I mean by that and what he meant by that was he went back into his whole life and he sat down and wrote down every – kind of instance, every memory and, and kind of sorted through like, okay, like why am I the way I am right now because of everything that I've gone through and looking at instances where maybe a parent acted a certain way when he was growing up. And that's why he doesn't, you know, maybe that's why he like, for example, his mom, he was talking about his mom didn't respect, uh, like a waitress one time and it really rubbed him the wrong way. And now he treats everyone with the utmost respect when he's out at at a restaurant. Like are there certain instances that drastically changed who you are and act and, and make you who you are, you know? So it's finding that narrative is kind of what I'm trying to work through right now. And like, what's your backstory? What's your leadership story? Like, where'd you come from? Who are your parents? What coaches impacted you? The teachers, you know, what successes, you know, it made you who you are, but really, more importantly, you know what failures and heartbreaks really made you who you are. And the biggest, one of the, there's a lot of nuggets that he was tossing out to, me, but he, uh, he had said something that was really unique. He said the difference between success and failure is credit card thin. It is credit card thin, and he said that. His credibility was truly based off of his failures, not his successes. And I was like, "Wow! Like that is that is that is deep, and it and it's so true." And that's I and I just kind of had a. I was sitting there listening. When I was sitting there listening to him, man, I just had a um, like, "Wow! Like I, I really, I, I really like seeing it as a head coach in the NFL being able to sit there and be vulnerable," like you said. Man, that's that's deep. That's that's a that's setting an example for coaches like myself who maybe at the moment didn't feel you could be that. You know. Yeah, why did you? Why did you originally think you couldn't be that? Well, because I think there's a masculinity um, thing in this business and in sports. Like you got to be a certain way, or you gotta you gotta pretend to you know you got to put up a front that like you care, but you're like, you you don't like, you got to be a man's man. And I don't think that's true. I think one of the biggest and that, and I'm not saying that that was how I felt prior, like to him saying that, but I'm saying that the, I'm saying that the industry, unfortunately, and not even just the industry, just the whole society, you know, kind of shames like the a man being able to have, you know, vulnerability, um, you know, he, he kind of like put a a stamp of approval on like taking a pause in your life and really kind of figuring out every single detail about why you are, who you are and where your blind spots are. You know, Mm -hmm. and that like, when he said like your blind spots, I asked him about it after and he goes, like you got to like come to terms with like really knowing like where your faults are and you have to work on them intentionally. A lot of people like to work on their strengths, but like you have to intentionally work on your blind spots and you have to know where your vulnerability is in those blind spots. So that when, you know, whether it's temptation to go back to old ways or whatever it is comes about you, you know that they're there and you're not just turning your head to them. Um, a lot of guys in coaching or any business is like you, you handle themselves in a quid pro quo manner, you know, like it's that's not the How way to you know do what it, that man. means. So essentially, it's you know, just tra- it's, it's transactional, like you, it's there's no there's it's not transformative. So inside out coaching and inside out lifestyle, like you're trying to be transformational to the people that are around you like you're trying to serve people uh, relentlessly and he said early on in his career he was quid pro quo meaning that he was only trying to get what he could out of out of his players transactionally like he looked at it as a business and just a business and not the impact that he can make on being transformative through his narrative so when you wow. have...
0: not, to, not, to, not to cut you off. Um, I just want yep. to throw in there what you're saying right now is what I was getting at with the college and the recruiting.
1: Yeah, very true. But I't I, I, I,
0: now that you say that, I didn't even realize that's what I was asking. but yes, okay, so continue. I just want to throw yeah. that in there to see if it like yeah. I don't know
1: adds to what you're saying. No, you're, you, you're right and, and that's but that's the difference though in the recruiting process is when you have a coach, that knows his authentic narrative and who he is and is transformative and not transactional because that stuff is easy to see through and you can just talk to the players that are playing for the, the coach, you know, like, in really knowing, like, is this coach about people? And that's what you want to play for. But, you know, I, I think that when you, when you really look at, the 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 authentic narrative thing that we were just talking about what Coach Trustman was talking about you got to have a you got to have like a crap ton of humility man like and you got to have it through a ton of chaos because it's really easy to have have it when you win you know that's easy um but you got to be able to stay even keel and you got to be able to stay the same person your authentic self because you're going to build trust when you are authentic and you're vulnerable uh, as a coach uh, because you show that you are a human and you're not a robot. Uh, You know, I think that's a, a gift, a gift that's invaluable, I think to players. And when you're a coach is being vulnerable and, and creating that trust. Yeah. Now
0: spinning off of that, um, here goes me trash in school again. Um, (laughs) I say that as a joke though. Um, do you think like what you were saying, how you were like, Oh, um, you know, it's, it's a society thing. It's a business thing about how it's like, you can't, you can't, you can't fail. You can't do this. Do you think that, um, because I think obviously like people say like what you were kind of just saying, like, you know, you got to go back and really evaluate like why you think the way you think, why you act the way you act, all those things. And essentially it's just things you've experienced as a kid, even like when people go to like therapy for like mental health or like other things. And I'm talking on a very general, broad basis. And I'm talking in an ignorant point of view, not because I don't know, I'm just saying this from like an observation from afar. Like when you really dive deep into who is Mike Peters? Who is John Antonio? Why? And stuff like that. We all have different experiences. We have different unique things about us. You know, everything you may react a certain way to something that I may not think is a big deal. And I don't react that way. And then vice versa. Um, Do you think that um, how school in just how they handle grades of like you need a 65 you don't want to you, you need to get a 65 or higher you don't want d's and F's. if you're a d and f you're gonna be a failure in life and you're like you hear that like all the time like when we were at least growing up and so like there's that like anxious pressure for some people when they're just taking normal tests in school and like stuff like that and then on top of it um it wasn't as big like when i was a kid i don't feel but i feel nowadays like parents are out of their damn minds with like my kid's gonna be the next thing and like you see all the money that are in sports so there's all these pressures on kids growing up whether it comes from school whether it comes from being like the cool kid or the kid that had the nice sneakers like whatever and some kids some kids grow up poor some kids grow up different and like then you hear stories of kids that had everything their entire life they never feel self-realized because they don't feel as though they can ever accomplish anything because they were always handed shit and then on the flip side of it there's people that are like I grew up there poor. That's why I'm super successful today, right? So do you think that like everything that is like lead, that like, how, actually, no, I don't want to ask it that that way. Do you think that our idea around failure and being afraid to fail and not understanding that like the only way you're going to learn is by failing comes from the pressure of like the society norm of like, hey, if you fuck up or you lose or you, you, you take an L there, it's a scarlet letter and do you think people that are like internally like without saying are afraid of having that scarlet letter without even realizing that like yeah we all suck at shit like i'm a trash coach compared to you but then there's other things that you suck at compared to me and it's like we, hey we all of us suck at something like and i always say like my boys like as a joke like i'm just like yo i don't know shit like i just like to I just like to think I know things as a, I and I say that as a joke, meaning like, I don't think I'm any better than anyone else. Maybe that's the humility that you were talking about. I can't even speak right now. Um, but what are your like thoughts on that? Do you think that like um, starting with school and starting with education in the sense of like, even in sports, there needs to be more of that topic and convo on the mental side of things, not like a mental health thing, but just like the mental toughness side of things that it's like, yo you're going to screw up you're going to fuck up if you don't fuck up and you don't fail a couple things here and there you're not trying hard enough like
1: what are your thoughts on that i think that we need to implement in our curriculum and i'm talking early i'm talking like elementary school the understanding of the difference between failing and failure like failure is like giving up and not learning from it from a failing opportunity so like if i fail and i make the decision to just quit that's failure if i Mm -hmm. fail and i learn that's a win and we don't do that we don't teach that and what happens is over the years as you get a bad grade it's so detrimental and it's acted as if it's the end of the world when in the retrospect it's not anything it's not it's it's not the end of the world it is just as stepping stone for you to step up and then do better if you look at it that way, but you have to be taught to look at it that way. Yes. And a lot of the times, especially myself, I don't think I really learned that until I started reading books about self-growth and, and, and being intentional about it. And understanding it at 25 years old is not the course of action that should happen. We should be the, the amount of success stories we'd be seeing if we were, if we were teaching the importance of failure early on growing up. And I'm not saying it I because it's got to be taught a certain way because just like the, everyone gets a trophy culture that's happened. Oh, don't like, get me. Please don't get you don't, me started on that. <laughs> you, you don't, you don't, you no but like, you don't want to like tell everyone, okay, Johnny, it's okay to fail, but you do want to teach our young kids guys you know boys and girls like the opportunity is is there within failure you lose a town baseball game at the moment when we were like 10 years old man oh man like it was the biggest thing in the world but if you if you can somehow teach that there's an opportunity in that loss or in that failure or in that adversity like because unfortunately man I think there's more we, we're living in a society where there's more messed up things going on, you know, in, in you know, than ever. Um, and unfortunately there's, you know, there's, there's kids that are going through it. There's kids that are going through it. And if we were to have it as a part of a curriculum, I, I just think it's, I just think that we're missing, or I think we're missing on an opportunity to, to impact lives because we talked about compounding earlier, but compounding like that, mentality from an early age to getting then to 21 years old or 18 years old when you're getting into college okay now failing a you know maybe a test or a project isn't detrimental it isn't it isn't the end of the world because I've understood this concept it's a philosophy really what it is I've understood this for a long time now but if you don't get it in every waking move you make is like if you think of it as life or death you're going to have anxiety and you're going to have there's going to be the the, the mental it's a, the head case of like I get into a testing room and I start sweating and I can't do it because I'm traumatized I got PTSD from past experiences and I just I wish there was more understanding of how that little experience at five years old, six, seven, eight, whatever it is of failing, whether it's riding your bike and falling or whatever it is, that is that's a transformative experience. Like you, you have to you have to capitalize in that moment, I think, as a as a parent or as a teacher to impact kids and young adults down the road. Does that make sense? No,
0: that makes complete sense. I just and how do you like how are you, how are you do how do you do that with your players?
1: Are you saying how do you teach failure?
0: Yeah, how do you teach failure with your players, especially when they're they're playing at a high level? Like, like for example, like me, like even like there'd be times where like we I we would do we would do things like in lacrosse where it was just like three v three or it'd be offense versus defense loser loser has to the losing team has to run sprints or something like that and i wasn't like i was like fuck i'm a failure i suck i would bug out sometimes and like scream and slam my stick like sometimes slam my helmet and it was out of frustration that i was that close like yeah like not me but like the team like our like the team we were on we were that close to winning and we didn't do it and the frustration comes from like i know we can do it Versus just like, I'm pissed that we lost and I don't feel like a failure. So like, how do you, like as a coach, like how do you, how, how are you able to like help kids like channel their emotion and passion into understanding that like, yo, that's good. That's good. You lost now, you know, next time. Okay. Don't take that step or cut it here. Don't cut it there. And those little details, like you said, cause especially at North Dakota, you're all about the details that those are the details that you look for. And then it makes a kid more passionate in return about what they're doing.
1: I think you have to be able to have a short memory. Um, one of the, one of uh one of my mentors, uh, Jim Zabrowski, he's a quarterback's coach at Kansas. He, um, he has a phrase that's really good. And it's, it's focus, refocus. And because as a quarterback, you are, they have a lot of pressure on you to be successful every single play. And that's not going to happen. You're going to throw in completions you're going to have a sack, Someone's going to, you know, sack you, or there might be an interception, but you have to be able to focus on the play. You're going to get a distraction. It's whether it might be a good play. It might be a bad play, but you have to then refocus and get back online. And so how to answer your question about how we teach it. um, I would tell you that just being very intentional about when guys mess up or when they, they lose a rep in a one-on-one and they're pissed because they know they should have got it. And they're super frustrated. You, you got to be able to look a kid between the eyes and be calm, cool, collective. because I feel like as, uh, as a coach, you have a responsibility to be the thermostat in your room. Like you are going to gauge and you are going to set the temperature of where your guys are at, if they see that you're going ape shit, well, you know they're probably not going to be calm, cool, collected either. But in moments of, say game, say we're in a game, third down, guy drops it, they third down. I think a lot of and uh, and I'm and I'm hoping I'm wrong on this. I think a lot of coaches they take their frustration out. Frustration out. I'm like, we needed that. Okay, but expressing something that's known is not going to go back and solve something that is already in the past. Being being able to put your arm around a kid and say, we still need you because that is not the end of the game. We still got time left on the clock. Taking that eyes forward into the future, in the present moment, mentality as a coach is how you teach how to get over failure quickly and realize that you have another opportunity don't do it again make sure you learn from it in a moment and capitalize the second time uh and then that's in a game experience but i think even giving you a, a, a practice experience or like even off the field experience like is is valuable i think that you have to when a kid messes up whether it's off the field and you you got to have a conversation with them Listen, like, just shut up and listen, because there's something that is deeper down that might be going on that you just don't know about. And that's what comes down to the relationships part that we've talked about previously is you will know more by the depth of your relationship with the player because he will open up more if there's something that's going on that's affecting his player, affecting his academics, if you don't have good relationships, he's going to be closed off and he's going to be introvert and he's going to just completely shut you off because he's going through it. And he wants to go through it by himself because he doesn't trust you that you have his best interests in mind. And so I've tried to do a better job of just, being a, being a sounding board, you know, letting, you know, you know, sitting there and listening, like what's going on and that might not, might not come out for 20 minutes, you know, but still just being there sometimes in a shitty instance, or when someone's going through something, they don't need advice. Like right away, like they need someone to just vent to. And I think, As a coach, you are a mentor and you are a person of, you know, influence. And how you handle yourself in those instances of teaching failure are important. So, like, if a kid fails a test, maybe that he had something going on with his parents at home. Maybe he was going through something. Kid has a really bad practice. Maybe he has something. Maybe, you know, uh, a friend passed away back home. But to assume that it's all football-related or that it's, like, personal to you as a coach, like, you, you're, you're missing. Like, it's it's deeper. That's, that comes back to the reaching for depth of conversations. So, sorry for the long-winded answer, John, but I think that there's a lot – that's a good question. And there's a lot, of, a lot of layers to that one that you can go deep into and just how to build truly genuine relationships. Yeah, so like one thing that I like to do is
0: um kind of like what you were just talking about about like how you like to go deep like is I am I'm, I'm genuinely like fascinated by, uh by people like I don't I don't know why but it's like a fascination of like why do you do what you do like why are you the way you are and I like we were saying like how I said earlier that like people are your greatest asset like I think that it's almost like you're a mirror in a way. So like you can learn a lot about yourself just from interactions with people and how you were saying that, like the people that impact you the most are the people that take a genuine interest in like who you are as a person. Why do you think um, from your perspective, it's harder for certain coaches or just certain people in general to go deep with other people? Do you think it's that lack of vulnerability or it's like that guard up of like, I got to prove that I am something? without having that idea of just like, yo, it doesn't like, it doesn't really matter.
1: Like everything that you're putting an emphasis on is just made up. It's like, not real. I just think that it's a, it's an, a lack, it's a lack of authentic self. I think, I think it's a lack of actually having authentic narrative and, you know, faking until you make it. And there's not depth. There's not depth to your vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, you, a lot of a lot of the time it's really, really hard for someone to sit there and say, I don't know everything in in this profession. Like I'm, you know, everything is about like, I want to be the best ball coach, I want to be the best recruiter, I want to be the best that, I want to be the best this. And that's the competitive nature of sports, man. Everyone wants to be the best, and that's what it should be. But if it comes down to relationships and it comes down to building trust, I don't think you can build the level of trust that you that is needed, unless you are authentic, because authentic trust equals vulnerability. I think mm-hmm. on t- and then on top of that, consistency creates trust, and it's making better people creates trust. Like pouring into people and showing that, like, hey, I'm giving you, I'm pouring into you, and I'm expecting nothing in return. I'm just showing that I love you, and that. I care about you and I don't give a crap about how many one-handed catches you have. I care about you as a person. And that then in turn makes those players want to play for you. And then they turn a different level and a different different switch on when they know it's bigger than the game. Did that make sense? Yeah, no, that does. I paused because I thought you were saying something else.
0: But no, but that, that makes complete sense. Um, And then like transitioning here, one of the things, because I feel like it ties together because you said are afraid to like not know um, or or have that perception of like they don't know what they're talking about almost in a way. Um, We were talking before we started recording about how um, a lot of where you've gotten post-college and kind of like same is like seeking out like mentorship and like finding people that can either coach you, teach you, mentor you um but obviously providing value in the flip side and one thing you were telling me was that you were listening to the uh, podcast with I want to say it was Maxwell I I don't remember the the name I know you sent me the podcast and then and he was basically what you were saying about like when you're asking for help and you're seeking out mentorship like don't just like you can't just like no one owes you their time like, no one owes you their time at all whatsoever. Like, we think that people do because if they don't, when you ask for something, it's rude. But really, it's like, I know you mentioned to me that they were saying on the podcast, like, having a mission statement. But you don't necessarily need to be like, hey, this is my mission statement. This is why I want you to mentor me. But having, like, a purpose and bringing value even when you have nothing so that that person that is above you or that mentor can turn around and give you value. Kind of like a yin and yang type of uh, relationship relationship um what no like uh, what what are um what are some things that like you've learned just from coaching or you know all the seminars you do and stuff like that that have kind of like
1: expanded that horizon and like how you look at that type of stuff mm. man you if you got another two hours man, I can give you about two hours of info, <laughs> but uh, i mean here's the thing is i I'll, I'll i'll keep it i'll give you some some good nuggets here, so for me. I think mentor and mentee relationship is bilateral. I think that even though you might have a mentor that's teaching you a lot of things, I still think that there is a, it's a two-way street. There's still always a vertical stream that can go from mentee to mentor. And I think you, you need to find people that are givers and you need to latch on and you need to learn as much as you can. Um, you need to find people that are always trying to grow and always trying to find an edge, um, you know, people that are looking to pour into you. Like that's one of the things that I love about working here, man. Coach Braun, who is a, uh, brought me in, man. He's so intentional about sending me podcasts sending me excerpts of, of books. And I mean, I treasure that. That's invaluable. Like that's some, that's a, that's a man that I'm going to have hopefully as a mentor, the rest of my career. And one of the things that I recently tried to be more intentional about in mentor mentee, um, world is, you know, seek mentors outside of your realm. Like I'm a football coach. Like I could have a bunch of mentors in football, but how is that helping me in regards to gaining perspective in other aspects of life, whether it's financial, whether it's real estate, whether it's a mechanic, whether it's um, an entrepreneur, like everyone has a different lens of life because of what they are going through. And if you just only look through your one lens, your one dimensional, like try to be as three-dimensional as possible with your mentors because they're going to give you perspective financially. That's probably different than what you're used to in the realm that you're in. So for me, if I'm a ball coach, I've been, you know, my first couple of years in coaching, I made really, really awful money. Like, like money that, you know, way, way less than minimum wage an hour um, and working crazy hours. So I never really had, you know, money right out of college to be able to invest in well there might be someone that i can learn from about how to try to you know learn how to invest your money and and having a financial guy so i think there's a ton of value in being in, in reaching out to people that are outside of your normal comfort zone and trying to seek out mentorship and you talked about john maxwell's podcast that i sent you it's it's called the meeting before the meeting guys so like If I can, that's what it is. Yes. If I, if I, if I can suggest one, if you got one thing away from this whole damn episode, it's nothing that I said, but it's just to take this one episode of John Maxwell's podcast. It's called the meeting before the meeting. You can look at it at Spotify, Apple. Um, it is super impactful. Take a pen, paper, write stuff down. What it basically did for me a couple years ago, was it explained to me how to prepare for sitting down with someone that, is uh, an expert in their field or someone that you want to learn from and making a lasting impression on them that they are spending their time, you know, the right way um, by sitting with you. So what I mean by that is you come prepared with questions and not just questions that you Google, but questions that are depth, questions that are personal, questions that are about them. Questions that show, wow, this kid is interested in learning and I want to, I want to teach him. The misconception a lot of the times is that people that are successful are going to be closed off. And in all reality, it all it takes is one time asking someone, hey, could you help me with this or could you help teach me? Those people did not get to where they are by themselves. They had a mentor, they had someone that helped them. So 90% of the time, those people are gonna give back to you. And to tier that, I think the perception, John, we talked about failure, right? I think that because you reach out one time to someone, you think that they don't respond. Oh, like, you know, I'm never going to get a response. I think that the perce- there's the perception that you need to have if you're trying to reach important people is that those people have hundreds and hundreds of people reaching out to them, maybe thousands you are a number until you get reached and until you get one-on-one with them and you actually get to show who you are. So message that person until you're blue in the face every day at every waking and hour until you get a response. It's called persistence. You got to stand out from the other thousands of people that are literally trying to do the same thing that you are. You're asking for time, 24 hours in a day, everyone gets the same amount of time. You're one of how many people that are asking for John Maxwell's time, why should he give it to you? Because you sent one message. How persistent are you being in that, in that instance? Be persistent. Don't give a shit about what, um, you know, what the, oh, I'm bothering him. No, you, at the end of the day, you're showing that you really, truly want to make his time worthwhile. But also that you are more... Um you're more appreciative his time than, of, than the other people that eh, I'll send one message and I'll be, I'll be done. Um, there's, 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 there's numerous things, John, that like over the years that I've, I've grasped, um, like you, we talked about this off the, off the podcast earlier, but when you are going into a meeting with someone that you're trying to learn from, and they know that you're not trying to get anything out of it besides information, you need to understand that you got to respect their time. So when you say, I want to talk to you for 45 minutes, when 43 minutes hits, you need to tell them, Hey coach, I want to make sure I'm respecting your time. Um, I I got, I got about 15 more questions for you, but I want to, I want to cut you loose because I told you I wanted to have you on for 45 minutes but I I want to make sure that I get you get you back to what you were doing and 99% of the time they're going to sit there and they're saying no no we're good let's keep let's keep going but it's the instance that you respected their time that they're going to remember that and they're going to want to have a second conversation with you it's the principle of you can milk out the time and you could sit there and you can oh I'm going to stay on the phone for an hour and 45 minutes even though I only asked for 45 on the other end of the phone, that guy's probably sitting there like, man, like I did not expect to sit here this long, you know, but if you are intentional about showing respect for someone's time, you're going to get his time, time and time again, down the road. And you're going to get him to introduce you to other people because he knows that you're not going to waste other people's time that are close in their network. So there's a ton of value in that episode. And I, I, if I could send it from a mountaintop, I would send that episode to everyone that's looking to make strides in their career, because it's gonna—you're gonna learn lessons that are gonna greatly impact the first impression you have on someone that is where you want to eventually be. Um, so those are just a few nuggets from that episode, but things that I've also learned, um, you know, through trial and error. The and then John, the last thing is when you're reaching out don't expect a response. Like I, I can't tell you I thousands of emails sent to NFL personnel and probably less than, less than 50, maybe a hundred emails back. Maybe I don't send them out respecting it. I don't send things out expecting a response. I send them out because I, I hope that they get read and I hope that one day I get to meet that person in, in person. And that comes all oh, like, you know, I got your email back in 2016. Like it might lead to something, but I'm not expecting or having expectations to have it lead to something. If that makes sense, it's it's more of a way to it's a more of a coping thing for me to understand that you're not sending the message to get a response; you're sending a message to make an impression. No,
0: that makes complete sense so that makes yeah no that makes that makes complete sense in uh what you're saying yeah from listening to that episode there was a lot of shit in there um that well i shouldn't say shit but um there's a lot (laughs) of stuff in there (laughs) i've been swearing anyways whatever there's a lot of stuff uh there's a stuff in there that um when you hear it it's like so basic it's like wow why didn't i think of that (laughs) in a way
1: but it's very it's very
0: like it's high level but it's dumbed
1: down it's, it's very, um, digestible. I think that's something the information is like, wow, like pets, that's, that's awesome. You know? Um, and that's why it's so, that's why I'm, if anyone listened to this, uh, I don't know how many people are listening to it, but download the episode, get on the treadmill, um, or sit down at your coffee table and write notes down because it's going to change how you approach, how you meet with people. Um, I'll, I'll give you a real life example. Um, I listened to that podcast and then the next week I had a meeting um, with a, a, a guy who I'm, I look at as a mentor right now. Uh, he's with the Buffalo Bills, Jeremy Kelly. He's a Buffalo native. He's the director um, of alumni relations uh, for the Bills. And so he essentially deals with any of the, the alumni that come around and alumni events. Well, when I connected with him, you know, I took all those things that I learned from the podcast, and I tried to apply them. Showed up the questions, respected his time. Fast forward, like he's he'll he'll text me and 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 gauge interest on opportunities that might be opening up, or checking in on seeing how I'm doing. And this is someone that's in the NFL that's been super successful. But just that one instance, you had a we had one opportunity to make a drastic impression. Are you going to capitalize on it? and that's what that episode kind of did for me. So, I think your preparation but also you how you are going to make a first impression can have a ripple effect on where you are in your career no matter what the profession is whether it's coaching, whether it's real estate, whether it's finance, when you sit down in front of a person that's influential and you are spot on with your preparation you don't know what kind of doors that's going to open up for you. Absolutely. And flipping that on the head and flipping that on you,
0: being respectful of your time. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> hey man, I'm, a, I'm, I'm out here, man. You're my, you're my boy, man. I, you know, oh, I wasn't uh, hitting, hitting you
0: like that. No, no. I just thought it'd be funny to say that. Come on.
1: Um, <laughs>
0: yeah. So, last time I was I was ended asking you know what what would you say if you could meet 18 year old self this is your second time being on here so I'm not asking you that I got three different questions since we were talking oh, about no, like man yeah uh, since we were talking about like what's that sound are you packing a box of cigarettes <laughs> no, no, I, no I have a I have a spoon I'm about to I'm about to eat a, a yogurt No, I know. I'm just playing with you. Um, three different questions since, um, you know, as a coach, you are trying to, you know, being packed for all those things. Right. So Mm -hmm. what is, um, talking with the former Chicago bears coach, right? What were, what were some things that you reflected on in yourself that you had to go back in and look at and go, wow. I needed to be vulnerable in this aspect to grow as a coach, to grow as, a, uh, you know, a leader of young men as the first question. Second question is, what do you think your blind spots are? Third question, when, what would you tell yourself
1: the first day you started coaching compared to where you are now? All right. So repeat the first one. We're going to go one at a time because I, I I'll forget the second two. So the first one is what? So after the,
0: what the conversation was with the Chicago Bears coach, what were things that, yep, what were the things that you had to go back, reevaluate yourself on? And you were like, whoa, I didn't even know that about myself
1: until I really sat down with myself. So sitting there in a room of 25 young leaders in, in sports, uh, all, all sports, basketball, NFL, ncaa um you know you're in a room of like-minded people and you have the former chicago bears head coach stand up there and, and and be vulnerable and he set an example that day for me of like wow like that guy is so confident in himself that he can stand in front of people and talk about his failures and in that moment i realized how comfortable are you talking about your failures how comfortable are you with being vulnerable to people that might not understand in the moment or might judge in the moment, but you still share. I think that there was a time and, you know, I'm I'm trying to work on my, on myself every day, but even coming out here, like based on like past experiences, you kind of carry over, you know, how like, you carry yourself like when i carried myself at ub it was different than here only because of the setting i was in like is it a growth environment is it not a growth environment you know is it is it toxic is it not toxic like i think at first like i didn't know like where i fit in here and i took the same lens that i had at buffalo and i brought it here with me and what i realized was that you don't have to let your experiences be and dictate who you are now when i got back from that conference and i walked into the building in in fargo i walked in and i felt like i was like at home i felt like i was supposed to be there and i did not feel like i had that same lens on i felt like i was free i felt like i legitimately felt like i you know i didn't have to impress anyone like i you know i was living you know and, and not trying to get you know into into faith or anything like that on your podcast but like I felt like I didn't have to go in there and I, I didn't have to worry about the anxiety or the judgmentalness of anyone else that was, you know, in the building, even though they weren't doing it. I just felt like I dealt with it elsewhere. So I was bringing that perception with me. So to answer your question in simplicity forms, I think I realized that after hearing Mark talk about his ability to, um, have an authentic self and authentic narrative, I realize and I look back on my experiences and why I was feeling the way I did about, you know, being in an office setting in college football, like how, how there's ego and how there's um, those things. And I think I, I changed. I will forever go about, you know, building relationships in, in the in the building with other coaches and and not having a such a locked in perspective you know be who you are don't let other people waver that be who you are and and, and don't be and be unapologetic about it
0: and i honestly because i was listening to you so closely i completely forgot what the second question was so we're going to scratch
1: a second we're nope, not doing it we're I, just going to do I, I, oh you i remember? got I remember, I remember, man. Yeah. So okay. you asked me, you asked me what I thought my blind spots were. Yes, that's um, what it was. So, you know, and this is something I'm still working through, you know, in, in regards to just figuring them out. It's, it's not a, uh, it's a, it's not a short process, but I think that it. In my chase, I guess you can say, of like reaching my goals of coaching the NFL, like you sacrifice a lot. You sacrifice a lot of time with family, with friends. You sacrifice money. You fat. You sacrifice like, you know, um, you know, you move away from your family to go to Fargo and, and your girlfriend, and um, it's not it's not easy. It's 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 hard, but you kind of get thick skin to it because you I've done I've made moves a bunch of times and I've done that what my blind spot is is I think that thicks in sometimes is I I, I'm so focused on a goal that has been in fruition for 10 years now that I kind of get emotionless to to things you know whether it's you know relationships whether it's um whether it's family like I have to do a better job of being more present and being really actually present in conversations and hearing details and not just being there, like being engaged in the conversation, not just being physically present because people could just sit there and just like, yeah, I'm here. I'm like, I can hear what's coming out of your mouth, but it's, am I comprehending it? And am I showing empathy? And am I understanding other people's points of view? I think a blind spot of mine is definitely that, um, say that understanding that it takes a little bit longer for me to probably learn X's and O's than just a normal coach. I think that I, I've always probably suffered with some sort of learning. I wouldn't call it a disability, but a a challenge learning challenge. Um, so, uh, I would say those are two, man. I would say those are two that for sure um you know would be blind spots and I'm sure there's more but off the top of my head that's 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 what comes to comes to light.
0: No hey, John, great.
1: real quick just because I, I my headphones are about to die. Is that gonna end this session? Because that's how um, I'm listening. It might.
0: So uh, let's real quickly uh, yeah. what would you tell what would you tell in one se- here how about this in one sentence what would you tell um yourself from the time you started coaching to now, if you were talking to yourself on day one?
1: I would tell myself to dream bigger earlier. I would tell myself to not sit here and think because I was a Division Three player that I had to, to, to fit into a box of coaching Division Three. I think that it took a, a fellow coach to tell me that everyone that is at the higher levels is just a normal dude like yourself. Um, Eric Finney, shout out Eric Finney at Iowa Western. If you ever listen to this, Um, he's a DB coach there, but he told me, he's like, listen, I play D one ball. And those guys that are coaching are the same. They put their pants on the same way you do. They drink coffee in the morning, the same way you do. They just have a different logo. So when he told me that three years into coaching, man, I started shooting emails off to every coach at the divisional level. And I was shocked at the guys that were getting back to me. And that day really changed me because I wasted three years on thinking and thinking small and thinking I'm an, imp- like, I'm only as good as this. I wish I would have had to, uh, I would probably tell myself to, to dream bigger, faster and fail faster and be, and be more intentional about failing because it, the more times you can sit there and say, you fa- you, you know, you, you, you have a failing experience and you learn. Um, it comes back to just like we talked about our, our young kids, you know, learning how to fail sooner. I I think I needed to learn how to fail sooner and I still need to keep learning um, and how to turn it into, to a positive. So uh, that's what I would tell myself, man. I would, I would tell myself to try to be also try to be more intentional about being grateful. You know, there's a lot of people that make sacrifices for, for, for me parents grandparents girlfriend you know friends um you know there's there's a lot of uh there's a lot of people that have sacrificed a lot to to get me to even to this position right now so uh i would i would tell myself to try to be more grateful in the grateful in the moment and let people know i love so it. it and yeah
0: no and since your headphones are dying
1: i think the best way to say it is. Uh... National Championships coming back to Fargo this year, baby. <laughs> let's, make, let's make it. Let's make it ten, man. But you know, everything is everything is earned. That's and that's such a coach thing to say, but it's so true, man. Like these guys are ready to roll. I'm ready to get after it, and I'm ready to learn and, and be a part of something special this season. So, tune in, man. It's gonna be a good one. Yes, sir. And we'll check it back in after this year. So, hey, greatly
0: appreciate it. Um, what? What's the North Dakota? What? What's your I'm logo? Buying. The bison, the bison baby,
1: not the, the bison, bison, bison baby. <laughs> nah, dude, Horn, horns. You know what's funny though is, is we're also horns up, man. So I've, I've stayed with the horns up for the for the last two schools. So horns up and and Bison Nation, man. It's supposed to be a good one this year. Yes, sir. Horns up and we out. All right, buddy.